This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Chris Graham, joined here on the Jerry Ratcliffe Show by Jerry Ratcliffe. And uh, Jerry, boy, there's a lot to talk about. We knew this day was coming with basketball starting Monday night for both the men and the women. And of course, football tomorrow, media day for the men and women basketball teams uh, earlier this week. Got a lot to bite into uh, with uh, with UVA sports. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a busy week coming up. I think uh, there's basketball on Monday, Friday, and the following Monday, and then football this Saturday and next Saturday, home games. So, uh We've got our work cut out for us, Chris. <laughs> we do, we do. Let's start in chronological order with uh, with the football game tomorrow. Number 17, North Carolina, coming to Charlottesville. Second game of a four-game homestand, or one of those rare four-game homestands for UVA football. Uh, Carolina, I think the last I saw it was a seven-point favorite. The line was eight earlier this week. So somewhere in that range, uh, the, the Vegas folks think that uh, Carolina is at least a touchdown better than Virginia in this one. Um, Virginia three and five going into this game, one and four in the ACC, North Carolina, a a surprising seven and one, four and oh in the ACC. And boy, if things work out right for the Tar Heels, they're playing in Charlotte next month. Um, what what are your thoughts, Jerry, as uh, these two teams get ready to battle tomorrow? Well, first of all, I'm surprised that it's just a seven point line. (laughs) Carolina's bringing in uh, the most powerful offense that Virginia has faced this year. And one of the top offenses in the country uh, and one of the hottest quarterbacks in the country against a defense that hasn't given up a touchdown in eight quarters, but they haven't faced anything quite like this with uh, Drake May, who was having, you know, we all thought Sam Howell was good. I think Drake May's going to blow his numbers up before he's through there. And he's got a couple of receivers that'll play on Sunday uh, including Josh Downs, who's fabulous. And, um, you know, the the one thing Virginia's got going for them is the fact that Virginia's defense has, has played well. Again, they haven't faced anything like Carolina, but Carolina's defense is one of the worst five defenses in Power 5 football. So if there's ever a time for Brennan Armstrong and the Virginia offense to come alive, Saturday afternoon would be – a good time (laughs) this game last year down in chapel hill was a 59 39 final in favor of the tar heels and um yeah you know and and i don't know that 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 game was so extraordinary with all the offense in that one but i mean yeah the carolina offense could you know put up some good numbers obviously in this one virginia's defense is a lot better than last year but you mentioned yeah the virginia virginia offense against the weak carolina defense um, is there any sense, uh, you know, I know Coach Elliott talked a lot in his press conference on Tuesday this week about the offense, uh, about Brennan Armstrong, about the wide receivers. Um, any sense that, um, you know, there's a feeling that that they're getting more and more on the same page as they need to? I mean, he believes that they make progress each week, and Armstrong seems to be getting a little more comfortable each week, but we don't know how long it's going to, this process is going to take. He, he says it's, it takes time. And certainly we've seen that. Um, part of it is Armstrong. Part of it's the receivers. Part of it's the play calling, I believe. And I, I don't, you know, I guess they're all on the same page, but 
I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm a 49ers fan, so I heard something last week that kind of resonated with me in Virginia's offense in that Jimmy Garoppolo has a hard time reading, getting to his third progression. So things break down sometimes, and he tends to panic and either get sacked or, or take off with the ball. And part of that is because his receivers aren't really great at readjusting their routes when things break down. And they said that Christian McCaffrey coming on board, who is great at adjusting his route when things break down, makes Jimmy Garoppolo a better quarterback because he finds a way to get open. And we saw that early in that game when things broke down. McCaffrey got open, readjusted his route. Garoppolo hit him. They scored a touchdown. I wonder if that's some of the same problems that Virginia's having because uh, Armstrong hasn't been as good this season as he was last year when things break down. And the receivers don't seem to be, in fact, um, I asked Tony about this, and uh, he said earlier in the season, Virginia's receivers weren't really great at readjusting their routes when things break down. And he said it's a little better, but I still don't think it's where it needs to be. So, I, you know, it just seems a little discom discombobulated to me, Chris, and I, I don't know. I know it takes time, but, you know, they're running out of time. They really are. Yeah, a third of the season left. They've played eight out of the 12 games. You know, we traded emails this week, Jerry. Uh, we were researching something and, and I traded emails on some deep stats, pro football focus stats. And um, it, when you made me look it up or asked me to look it up, I thought, gosh, I hadn't even seen these numbers myself. But, you know, I think your question was, how's how's Brennan doing uh, under pressure? And he's 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 facing a lot more pressure, right? That's that yes. you, saw, you can see that with your eyes, right? I mean, he's under a lot more pressure than last year. Last year's offensive line is not this year's offensive line. I think it was something like 40 percent of snaps versus last year, 26 percent of snaps. He's facing pressure. But in the situations where he's got a clean pocket his numbers are nowhere near where they were last year. So I think that's an indication of something too. I mean, yeah, under pressure situations that, you know, he's he's having to run a little bit more, throw a little sooner than he would like. The receivers maybe haven't yet adjusted eight games into the season in terms of what scramble rules they're supposed to be under. Um, but even in clean pockets, he is nowhere near the same guy numbers-wise as he was last year. Yeah, and I think part of that is because – they've changed the philosophy to a timing passing scheme to where he's throwing it to, to a window where the receiver is supposed to be. And it, that chemistry just hasn't worked for the most part. And maybe it will. Yeah, sometimes it does. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't have any answers for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure Virginia has any answers for that. If they do, we, we're not seeing many answers for that. Um, it, it's just hard to explain. I was talking to uh, Andrew Johnson from Tar Heel Illustrated in a podcast yesterday, and he was talking to some of the Carolina writers, and, and in his mind, and I think he's right, maybe the biggest story in the ACC this, this year is Virginia's offense or lack of offense because last year it set everybody on fire. And this year is just a mystery as to what's happened to it. I mean, we we hear the uh, reasons why, but still nothing much changes. And uh, of course, the Clemson quarterback is is, is a story. Uh, 
Drake May is a story. Carolina's rise in offense and, you know, a couple other uh, fairly important stories. But I, I agree. I think the disappearance of Virginia's offense might just be the biggest story in the ACC this season. Yeah, yeah. And and Drake May's – I, I would go, I would go – the, the the story of, of Virginia's offense failing and Drake May emerging as as one and one a um, yeah uh, as far as being the two biggest stories but yeah the, that offense last year we've we've chronicled it a lot five hundred fifteen point eight yards per game this year under three hundred sixty yards per game uh, has only scored twenty points once uh, against an FBS opponent um, and we're eight games into the season with a guy with a guy who came in with a pedigree of being an offensive coach for Clemson. He, he won two national championships as the offensive coordinator and play caller at Clemson. So if you thought any part of Virginia's team this year would be subpar, you wouldn't have thought it would be the offense. You'd think the defense, because last year the defense was so bad. John Brzezinski and that side of the ball, they've they've done wonders with, with uh, what they had coming to them and then some transfer portal additions. But, yeah, the offense, just not there. And um, – I was going to ask you about the running game. Um, last week, I think I when I counted it up, when you take sacks and scrambles out, uh, I think there were 12 runs, 12, 12 called runs for Brennan Armstrong and 13 called runs for the running backs. Um, this was supposed to be a year of balanced uh, offense with running and passing and uh, not as much pressure on Brennan Armstrong there. And they've, you know, obviously does Kitchings feels like he needs to generate more running uh, with uh, with the quarterback. Yeah, and, you know, I don't have a problem with that because I think he's one of the – I've always liked a good running quarterback because it gives you one more person than the defense is prepared to handle um, and gives you an extra blocker usually. So uh, I think Armstrong is very effective running for the most part. Um, he was put in some pretty awkward situations last week because the protection just wasn't there. The blocking wasn't there. Uh, we're, I think we're starting to see the effects that this offensive line just hasn't gelled the way that they hoped it would. Maybe it will next year, but uh, th so far this season, it, it just hasn't been very good. And um, I don't know that, that they have a real running game per se, like we expected. And so they've had to rely on Armstrong to break a few more runs. And I think that's why we're seeing more called runs for him. And, and they're encouraging him when he reads his first couple of progress, progressions, if if nothing's there, then to take off with it. And he's made some pretty big runs the last two or three weeks, last two particularly. I was disappointed that last week in the last two overtimes where you have to you get the ball at the three-yard line and you have to make a two-point play like you're running a two-point conversion, that they couldn't score from three yards out. And with Brendan Armstrong's ability to run the ball, I would have given him the ball and told him that uh, I would have had a designed run for him to where he could score from three yards out. I, they bound to have that in their package somewhere. So I thought they could have won the game right there, but they didn't do that. Didn't even try that. And uh, I don't know. I don't know, Chris. This offense is just so out of whack. I I, I just don't know if it's going to recover this season or not. I, I mean, last year, <laughs> Armstrong threw for 554 yards against Carolina on the road and uh, obliterated the school single game record by almost 90 yards. 
Um, I didn't come close to that this year. And um, the fact that they couldn't score a touchdown in, in four quarters and four overtimes against Miami speaks volumes, I think. I know Tony Elliott said after the game he'd like there were three to five calls he'd like to have back. Um, we still haven't figured out if Des Kitchens is making all the calls or if Tony's making all the calls or if he has veto power on the calls coming down from the press box. Kitchens is in the press box. We just don't know. I, and then, it, 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 you know, <laughs> uh, those three to five plays, you know, that that's could be the easily the difference in the ballgame. He, there were three times Virginia had the ball inside the five, two first and goals inside the five. Yeah. Uh, one was a third and two that they failed to pick up the first down. They got six points, two field goals, and then one failed a fourth and one conversion on those uh, fourth and goal from the one conversion on those those three forays inside the five yard line. And that's not the first time this year that's been an issue for this offense. And so they were moving the ball. They just can't move the ball when they need. It's the same issue as last year. It, it's it, it, that's the that's the scary or f- frustrating thing or whatever. If you're a Virginia fan, you know this the offense last year gaining 515 yards a game, uh, ranking third in the country. I, they were somewhere in the 20s or 30s in scoring per game because they didn't have enough of a running game when they got in the red zone inside the 20, inside the 10, inside the five to be able to run the ball in for a touchdown. And that that was supposed to be addressed this year, and unfortunately, they they still haven't figured out how to, you know, to to get that working. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, Jerry. You, you you're you're saying you don't know if they're going to get it done. I mean, I I think we've seen we've seen eight games where they can move it between the twenties. They just they just can't and they can't score uh, when when they need to. They can't put seven on the board when they need to. Yeah, and I, I think part of that is because they don't have a great running game they can't run the play action they would like to to freeze the safeties and and open up the passing game in in a very crowded space like that down in the red zone and again the offensive line just hasn't gotten the job done and you know in a tight space once you're inside the 10 there's only so many routes. Uh, you don't have uh, only so much room to run your routes down there. So um, if you can't run it down there, then, you know, you become one dimensional. And if they know that, then it's harder to complete a pass, which we've seen a lot of in recent weeks. Yeah. The defense doesn't have to worry about over the top either. They can pack it in. The safeties can play close right. to the line and, and take away uh, short routes and crossing routes. So, um, the intel I'm getting, Scott German, uh, one of our colleagues, uh, well, he's, he's been uh, in Charlottesville today and on grounds a lot today. He says there's a lot of Carolina blue in Charlottesville this weekend from what he's seen. So um, we may actually have a good crowd tomorrow at Scott Stadium for the noon kickoff. It may not be an all orange and blue crowd, but there might be some some more people in the stands than we've been used to seeing this year. Well, you know, I can't blame them. I mean, there's a lot for Tar, Tar Heel fans to be excited about. They're seven and one overall. They're four and zero in the ACC. They're ranked seventeenth in the CFP rankings, the ones that really matter. Um, you know, they they have uh, one of the top offenses in the country. They're averaging five hundred and two yards per game. Drake May is having uh, an incredible year. You got to give. Uh, him a lot of credit for that, and you got to give their offensive coordinator Phil Longo 
who developed Sam Howell and now Drake May. You got to give him a lot of credit too. Um, I mean, if I'm a Tar Heel fan, I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty jacked right now because um, I don't. I'm not sure. Maybe they can clinch the Coastal tomorrow if they win. They'd be five and zero. I think they could. They 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 very well could. And you know they're playing for. I mean, if, if they can win out, and they're still obviously this game and three others in the conference for them. If they can win out. They're eleven and one going into Charlotte, playing Clemson. If Clemson Clemson's played its toughest game, so unless there's an unexpected stumble, at least in conference. I know they got Notre Dame this weekend um, in a non-conference game. If uh, if you know they those two teams could meet in there with in that game in Charlotte with. I mean, you could have a, a either an undefeated or one loss Clemson, a one loss, maybe two loss Carolina. I mean, there's a possibility that game's a a play in playoff game if if things go the exact right way. If they both if they can both win out the rest of the way, so yeah. If I'm a Carolina fan, I'm I'm making a couple hour drive up here to you know on a nice Saturday to to see my team have a a chance to to move forward like that. Yeah, I'm, you know. Clemson still looks beatable to me. Yeah. I, I don't think this is the Clemson that were in, was in the playoffs every year. Uh, I think they're a little better than last year's team, but uh, I, I don't think they're uh, – <clears throat> I know they're ranked fourth in the college football playoff poll right now, but I, uh, frankly, I, th- I don't think they would have that kind of record if they were in the SEC <laughs> right now. <laughs> but um, that's my opinion, but – yeah, that could be a heck of a championship game. Uh, although, I, again, you got to wonder a little bit about Carolina's defense, which is coming in here a little bit more beaten up than even before. I think they lost a couple of starters last game, including Noah Taylor, uh, former Virginia linebacker who was Carolina transferred to Carolina, was their leading sack man, and he suffered a season-ending injury last week against Pitt. So uh, their defense is going to have a few new young faces in there uh, for Saturday's game. And, again, it's one of the worst five defenses in Power Five. So they've been able to score enough points to where it didn't matter. But uh, if they get into a big game, it will matter. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm interpreting it as a little bit of a dig, to say the least, from Mac Brown. He decided to name for this game – this week, he's naming Noah Taylor a captain uh, for the team. And normally, guys who are injured and out for the season aren't traveling on for road games, but he's going to be there. Um, and and that's uh, I don't know. I, you know, if I, I if I were a Virginia player, I, I'd kind of think about that and think they're trying to you know they're trying to thumb something in our faces here with that. I might I might use that as a little bit extra motivation to to think that they're uh, they're they're going that route. Well, yeah, and, you know, Mac Brown has said that he considers the Tidewater region of the state of Virginia as part of North Carolina because they uh, have mined that area in recruiting so well during his tenure, the first stint and now the second stint, having Dre Bly down there, who he pretty much gets whoever he wants. Uh, Virginia and Virginia Tech are are not getting those guys and Carolina and Penn state are. So, um, yeah, there's a lot for Virginia guys to be a little miffed about in, in terms of Carolina claiming part of their state is, is uh, part of North Carolina. <laughs> so I would be a little aggravated if I were a Virginia player. 
Yeah, I might, I might, uh, I might run a little faster, block a little, block a little uh, longer into the whistle and that kind of thing. If <laughs> if I'm playing Carolina anymore, and most, um, of these, most of these players today uh, and in recent years don't realize what a rivalry this has been for ever since. Well, it's the South's oldest rivalry, going back to 1892. And uh, I mean, this used to be one of the big national games back in the uh, 20s, 30s, 40s. Uh, before Virginia football went bankrupt in the 50s, but they'd play on Thanksgiving Day. It would be a national radio audience, Chris, and they'd fill up stadiums in, in all over the state of Virginia and uh, I guess Chapel Hill. I don't know if they played anywhere else but Chapel Hill in North Carolina, but they played, I think, in Richmond and Norfolk and uh, Charlottesville. I don't know about any other cities in the state, but it, it was a huge deal back in the day. And uh, if you talk to the old Virginia grads, they still consider Carolina the rival. Uh, most of the people today consider it to be the Hokies, but um, there's still a lot of bad blood in terms of a rivalry um, from the old school guys. Oh, yeah. You know, and of course, the the a lot of the guys on his team were, are still holdovers from the Bronco Mendenhall era. Bronco and his staff didn't recruit Virginia very well, but you know, Tony Elliott's at least you know, trying to make inroads into Virginia recruiting. So we'll, we might see some more Virginia guys uh, on our side in, in future years. Uh, um, but, um, yeah, you know, the guys who've been here long enough, they've been educated. Uh, certainly last year, after, you know, all the talk about the four-game winning streak going into last year's game and, and how I, I think – I can't think of it was. Mandy Alonzo, maybe you said that Carolina was quitting at the end of games and then – Carolina didn't take too kind of that either last year. So this is this is definitely a rivalry. The guys who've been here for a while know that anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And uh... <laughs> Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family-owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big-time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then, because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Goodfeet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. UVA Orthopedics and Sports Medicine boast one of the finest teams of doctors in the country, and they're right here in Charlottesville to not only provide care for the University of Virginia athletic teams, but also the Charlottesville and Central Virginia communities. UVA Orthopedics has been a proud sponsor of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show for the past two years with numerous team members featured in weekly segments where doctors share great insight into various sports injuries, what causes them, how to treat them, and recovery time. Their team of experts are there for you and offer the best care to solve your health problems and get you back on your feet. Let their team of specialists get you back in the game. 
Well, uh, that game is a 12 o'clock kickoff tomorrow. Uh, Jerry uh, and I will be there, uh, among others, covering the game from the press box. It should be a beautiful day, man. I think the temperature is supposed to be in the mid-70s, right around 70 at kickoff at noon. So can't beat that in in November as for, for weather. It's uh, it's going to be great. Um, and then, uh, you know, Monday night, actually Monday afternoon, the women uh, UVA women's basketball tips off its season. They, they had an exhibition win last night, so – uh coach mox has already coached her first game in jpj uh but the women will open up and then the men uh, open at nine o'clock with unc or nc central i should say um and uh jerry i know you were over uh earlier this week uh both programs had their media days so coach mox coach bennett and some players uh you were able to chat with uh what's the general sense heading into the 2022-2023 season yeah I i think coach mox was very excited um I didn't go to the exhibition game last night, but it, it, it was an easy runaway for them. But, you know, the, the thing she said that struck me the most, I think, was that when she and her assistant coaches got here and had their first practice, um, I don't know if it's first practice or first scrimmage, maybe first practice, they all looked around at each other and said, guys, we've got some talent on this team. And I think that they were surprised because of their record had been so abysmal the last couple of years before that, that they, they figured that the program was totally bankrupt, but they said, we got some talent we can work with here. And obviously she's recruited a little bit more with Sam Brunel and, and a couple other people, but uh, I think she believes that, that they're going to um, be pretty decent. Uh, she she admits that they uh, they might be a little undersized at some spots, but she says there's ways to combat that. And uh, the players have bought in; they're practicing hard. I th- I think she's very optimistic about her first go round here at UVA. You know, she's got uh, she's got three former five star prep recruits already on the roster with uh, the with the transfer she's got coming in and or, or, or that are already in. And of course, the recruiting for the next, uh, you know, for the future is great. You know, looking at last night's game, 92 45 win over Pitt Johnstown. Cameron Taylor, uh, 22 points. Uh, she had 10 rebounds. Taylor Valade, 21 points on seven of 10 shooting. Um, you know, the, you've, they scored 90 points. Uh, you know, she's, she told us, uh, Coach Mox did uh, when she got the job back in March that her, her goal was to, uh, you know, she was going to have this team play with tempo, uh, play tough defense and, and rebound and, you know, 92 points in a game. I know it's an exhibition game. Um, I will mention that, boy, we've seen some scores in exhibition games on the men's side that have been uh, jumping out as Louisville lost the game by 10 points to one of their exhibition opponents. Yeah. Uh, Kansas was down 14 in the first half last night to its uh, exhibition opponents. So um, don't don't overlook that, uh, you know, doing well in one of these games is a, is a good start. Yeah, I think there's excitement there, and I'm, it's interesting to hear. Uh, yeah, they look around and say, "We we got handed this." I mean, there's a lot of talent there, and uh, it, it just needed to be put in the right place and given the right direction, and, and hopefully, Coach Mox can get it all done. Yeah, I think she will. She has said and done all the right things since she arrived here, and the players like her and believe in her, and uh, vice versa. Uh, I th- I think. I think this is a good hire, and I think she's got things already going in the right direction. So what's the sense from Coach Bennett? Uh, you know, last year's team, 
uh, did not get an NCAA tournament bid. They uh, got to the third round of the uh, NIT before losing to St. Bonaventure there in JPJ. Uh, but they, re- you know, Coach Bennett returns a lot of experience. He's got a great incoming recruiting class, plus Ben Vanderplas, one of the more coveted transfers uh, in the country from the transfer portal. So, uh, you know, Coach Bennett is usually pretty understated. I understand, but but uh, you know, what was your sense from from being there on Wednesday uh, from from the men's side? I think he's encouraged as well. Uh, he talked about, you know. Um, this being an old team now because he's got three fifth year guys and some other regular seniors on this team. Um, last year he was talking about how it was the newest team he had ever coached because he had a couple of transfers playing key roles. He had Caden Shedrick stepping into more playing time than he was had ever had. And, um, sort of in a new role and Reese Bigman was just a sophomore so um, it, it was, and and they didn't have a lot of depth, which meant that Kihei and, and a lot of these guys had to play extended minutes. And you, you know that wears on your legs at some point during the season when you can't get off the floor. So uh, with these guys having uh, another year under their belt uh, in the system, and like you said, Vanderplas coming in, he's a experienced, uh, quality player. All of a sudden they've they've gotten old in one year and and they have depth. So uh, he said, I have 12 guys who could start. And he says, 12 guys are not going to play, but um, I, I've told some of these guys, you're, you're the top seven. You other guys, you're eight through 12 or 13. Uh, Chase Coleman, the former walk-on, has apparently improved dramatically in offseason. He said, but any of you 8 through 13 could move into the top seven, and any of you in the top seven could slide back into the 8 to 13. So I think we'll see, depending on matchups and the opponent, uh, we may see a variety of guys, uh, particularly early in the season, as he – tries to build chemistry or extend the chemistry he built in Europe and in the exhibition games against Maryland and UConn. Um, and just to see what lineups work better together and that sort of thing. He can go small, he can go big. Um, so depth is a big difference between last year. Experience is a big difference. And I think the other big difference in this team, Chris, is scoring, shooting. They got uh, they've got more of that now. Uh, Isaac McNeely is a sharpshooter, true freshman from Polka, West Virginia, who's been on our podcast several times. Uh, he's I think he's already made good adjustments to the college three point line. Uh, Vanderplas can shoot the three. I think uh, Kihei and Reese Bigman have both worked hard on their outside shooting in the off season. Uh, you got Tane Murray and uh, uh, might be forgetting about somebody. Well, Armand Franklin, uh, you know, he they found something mechanical in his shot late last season and they corrected it. And he that seemed to pull him out of the slump that he had been in for most of the year. And so uh, it looks like to me they've resolved uh, that issue. And, and there, there might not be enough basketballs to go around all of a sudden. 
Yeah, Franklin in his last three games uh, was 12 of 23 from three-point range after shooting. I think it was, it was under 25% most of the season. He was so hot at the end, he was almost at 30. So um, get him back. He was 42.4% from three at Indiana as a sophomore. Get him back in that range. Um, those those are elite numbers at the college level uh, and, and with volume. And and then, yeah, and Vanderplas can, can pop it from outside. You know, one thing that I saw Tony said about um, – uh, the depth that can be a, a a plus, you know, individually, all those guys, when I, all the, all the guys coming back, at least that we mentioned individually are great defensive players. Reese Beekman, I think should have been ACC defensive player of the year. Kihei Clark, we know his reputation. Armand Franklin, when you look at the deep stats is, is a top level defender. Um, Jaden Gardner played great twice against Paulo Bancaro, held him in his single digits twice, the number one yeah. pick in the draft. Uh, and we know what Kafaro and, and Cedric can do at the at the rim, and yet this team was defensively was below fifty nationally in KenPom.com. dot com. It was the it was the worst ranked uh, Tony Bennett defense in Ken Palm since his second team way back in like 2010, 2011. So, um, but he said with the extra depth you mentioned is Jerry. You know, you're, you're the guys had to play extra minutes. This depth should be key for the defense as well. Yeah, I believe it will be, and. Um... A lot of these guys can guard multiple positions, which will give him a little more versatility on that end of the floor. And uh, I think uh, the fact that Shedrick, I think he's going to really blossom this year. I think he is going to be even more effective than he was a year ago. And he, he was impressive at, at times last year. Franklin and, and Gardner in particular seem like they have another year in the, that system. They seem like they – have gotten the pack line down pretty pat. Uh, McNeely uh, understands it a little bit because they played that at, at Polka High School. Moderate, it was uh, modeled after Virginia's pack line. Uh, I'm sure there's some adjustment, but at least he gets it in in uh, theory. And uh, Reese Bigman told me uh, Wednesday that, or yeah, Wednesday that that he has worked hard on his defense to become even better. And I said. You can become better on defense, and he laughed and he said, "Oh, you can, you can always get better." There's a few things I'd like to improve, and he has. So, yeah, I think um, I think this defense is going to be much more uh, um, together than it was a year ago, and I think we'll see that um, right off the bat. You know, the the preseason Pen, uh, Ken Palm rankings have uh, the ratings. I should say not rankings. They 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 do end up being ranked too. Um, Virginia was fifth overall, but there's the, the projection from when when you know the, the way they do their algorithms. Um, there's expectation that the offense and defense will both be, you know, top ten, top ten, top fifteen level this year. And you know the talents there, the depths there. Um, and uh, so this could be. I mean, I I think that the the only holdup will be for this team perhaps this year is just that there's still some newcomers to inject into the lineup, um, and uh, and plus the, t the really tough schedule that t Tony has put out for his team in November and December, there might be a couple of losses early on that Virginia fans will say, hey, wait, you know, Chris and Jerry were telling us this team's going to be a you know a ACC championship contender and maybe a Final Four contender. But I, I'm uh, when I work this out, Jerry. I want to get your thought. My thought was more, not as much 2018, 2019 in the sense of boy, that team was just they were already good. They had the chip on their shoulder from UMBC. They had a tough early season schedule too, and they rolled through it. 
Um, and the only the two losses to Duke, the one to Florida State in the ACC tournament. Other than that, they were they were clean sheet the rest of the year. More like 2013, 2014, uh, when you were bringing back Malcolm Brogdon from his injury, when you were bringing back Anthony Gill from ha- from having to sit out the redshirt year, and you had some losses early. The f- opening game they lost to VCU, they lost to Tennessee, they lost at Green Bay, the Tennessee game, of course. Um, and and then they got on a roll and never stopped in the ACC play all the way through late March. So I'm thinking this team might look a little bit more the way the season should go, might be more 2013-14 than 2018-2019. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And this schedule, non-conference schedule, might be a little bit tougher. Um, and, and that's okay. I, I think, you know, Tony said, you know, when you're sitting back making these schedules out in the spring and – he said, "Oh, let's uh, let's add, uh, let's go to this tournament. Let's take on his, you know, these guys." And he said, "It all looks good then until you look at the final product and say, well, what did we do here? <laughs> we scheduled these games.'" And he said, "If it works out, it was my idea. If it doesn't work out, I'm blaming on Ronnie Weidman, who is their operations guy, who does a lot of the scheduling." But uh, of course, he was just joking. But uh, it is a challenging schedule, a, a lot of games away from home. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how they match up against some of these teams that are probably going to be top 10, top 15 teams. Uh, again, some of them on the road or at neutral sites. And he said, you know, if we lose them, uh, you know, it's not the end of the world. It, it, we can use it as a growing experience and get better and find out what our weaknesses are work on it and get ready for the ACC schedule, which is what really matters. Um, and, and, you know, the, I, I, I've always felt like that Tony felt like a, a loss here or there is not a big deal as long as you um, played right. You know, if you were competitive, you, you, you didn't do anything really dumb. And uh, you guys, you know, performed well i i don't i don't think it bothers him so much um and they'll they will be playing some acc teams in early this year three or four games before january uh because of the 20 game acc schedule for in the second year of that now but you got to play them sometime you can't squeeze them all into the last two months but um so you know i i think they'll be tested a lot early and you know, he's fine with that. He, he, he thinks that even if we win them all, great. If we lose them all, it'll make us better. So um, I wouldn't be upset if they drop a game here or there. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm thinking of losses like there was a, a game at George Mason, that the team that went to the Elite Eight lost early in the season. Uh, I mean, the ones I mentioned in 2013-2014. Uh, the 2017-2018 team lost the game at West Virginia early in that season, I think. Yeah. But, uh, Right. Uh, they grew from, I mean, you grow from, you, you can, you can, if you treat it right, you can grow from losses. And Tony, Tony's always been good about that. Um, scheduling tough games and then learning from them. Um, I think if you win them, even better. <laughs> I think as long as you don't drop games, you shouldn't lose like uh, JMU and Navy last yeah. year. Yeah. But, uh, it won't hurt you. Yeah. We learned something about the team from the, from those games too, but it wasn't what we wanted to learn. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we we learned what Jason Williford told us like on the eve of the season. We had him on a podcast, I remember, and I remember being really high on the team. And he said, uh, this is going to be a work in progress. 
And boy, I kept thinking about that every time I would see one of those games. I was up. Oh, the Jason told us. <laughs> yeah, he, he warned gave us. us. Fair warning. He did. He did. He, he'd seen that team in practice. Well, uh, this year I don't think work in progress will define this Virginia basketball team. Certainly, I mean, I think the women's team maybe too. We'll see how that goes. I'm excited about the the women, and certainly excited about the men's team. We got football tomorrow, uh, twelve o'clock kickoff in Scott Stadium. Uh, with good weather, uh, Jerry. What else uh, you want to you want to talk about here on the podcast as we're maybe getting ready to wrap up? Well, if you're a Virginia fan, you haven't heard listened to our um, podcast from earlier this week with Elijah Gertrude. You owe it to yourself to pick that up. I'll probably write a story on it sometime if I can get a breather over over the next few days. But um, terrific podcast, a terrific young man. Virginia fans are going to love this guy. Uh, 6'3", shooting guard from Jersey City, New Jersey, the highest-ranked player in the Tony Bennett era, number 36 in the country, one spot higher than Kyle Guy was. Um, Number three shooting guard in the country, just a great kid. Uh, I mean, he's he's got a good sense of humor. He's smart. He's very uh, uh, talkative. Um, He's not a shy guy at all. full of confidence and uh, uh, Doug Fresh Smith, who played uh, point guard for Virginia back in the day, uh, lives in Jersey City and had watched Elijah play quite a bit and um, went back and forth telling Jason Wilford they needed to, to recruit this guy and to offer him as soon as possible. And uh, it was uh, Elijah, um, a lot of he wasn't on a lot of people's radar, and then he just had an incredible uh, spring and summer last year, and exploded on the national scene. And a lot of people got in on him too late, uh, and so he ended up picking Virginia over Kansas and a handful of other schools. So that shows you he, this guy's pretty darn good. And I just think you'll enjoy our conversation uh, like this one. We we just try to make it a nice, friendly conversation like we're sitting down at your um, dining room table with you and um, so check that out and uh, I think you'll enjoy it but um, that's pretty much it I'd I'd like to thank our sponsors um, Aberdeen Barn finest steakhouse in the state of Virginia Um, got plenty of opportunities to visit there if you're coming from out of town uh, in the next few weeks with all these home games and uh, even if you're not coming from out of town, just go by and enjoy, soak up the atmosphere. Run, uh, Ragged Mountain Running Shop, you know their reputation. Uh, they got everything you can imagine under the sun in terms of running. UV Orthopedics, uh, those guys, uh, we've seen them um, in recent weeks out on the football field when somebody gets injured. They're out there taking care of your Wahoos and some of your JMU Dukes. And um, you don't have to wear a Virginia uniform to get their services. They're as good as it gets. If you've got any kind of issues, you need to uh, check out UVA Ortho and their new complex out on Ivy Road. And the good feet people over at Stonefield in Charlottesville, uh, this is one of the hottest growing companies on the East Coast. Uh, They just expanded, I think, into Cleveland. They're in Greensboro, Winston-Salem, or all over the Northern Virginia, D.C., Baltimore, I think, Richmond, all over the state of Virginia. Uh, we're lucky to have one here in Charlottesville, and I can 
personally testify uh, that if you've got any kind of foot issues, it, they can fit you for special arches to put in your shoes that uh, will help you in, in so many ways and help with the, any discomfort. And uh, that can go on up into some of your other joints as well. So uh, go by. It's, it's worth uh, a visit to see what they can offer you. And uh, even though it's not on our website, we welcome a new sponsor to jerryrackliff.com, uh, Blue Ridge Beverages. Uh, I think they're the largest uh, distributor, beverage distributor in the western half of the state of Virginia. So uh, we want to thank Tom Parker and, and those good people for supporting us. And um, thank you very much. Hopefully by the time the podcast is listened to by folks out there, though, that, that ad will be up. And, and thanks to all, thanks to the new sponsors, all the folks who make it possible for us to do this podcast each week. Uh, oh, thank- one more thing. Oh, I, sure. yeah, go I ahead. I've I've slipped my mind, but uh, one of our sponsors uh, happens to be Hildreth Moving uh, out of Fredericksburg, Northern Virginia, one of the largest movers on the East Coast. Um, but the, the Who's Making a Difference program uh, selects uh, at least one former Wahoo for each home game, uh, somebody who's made a difference after they've left football and how they service their communities and the university and, and others. And this week's honoree is Charles McDaniel, who was a great linebacker for George Welsh back in when George first came here, helped to build the foundation for George Welsh football. He will be the honoree in tomorrow's game and uh, give him a welcome when he comes on the field. I think it's at the end of the third quarter. He's done great things uh, in his community around the state and definitely for the University of Virginia. So uh, give him a hand, give him a salute when he steps out on the field. Let's hope for a competitive game so that we're all still there engaged at the end of the third quarter so we can (laughs) get him a good hand uh, as far as that goes. But uh, yeah, Jerry and I will be there 12 o'clock kickoff in Scott stadium. Uh, and uh, follow Jerry on Twitter. I will have a live blog on AugustaFreePress.com. And, of course, we'll have all kinds of post-game coverage on both those sites, JerryRatcliffe.com and AugustaFreePress.com, uh, tomorrow evening and the rest of the weekend. Uh, and then getting ready for Monday. We have so much to do. We have so much to do. For Jerry Ratcliffe, I'm Chris Graham signing off. Everyone have a great day.